Hi there, it's another edition of Making Money with the financial coach, Ron Hebert, retired portfolio manager. I'm Gord Whitehead, retired broadcaster. Ron and I have been acquaintances for several decades. We both like to talk about investing. We both like to think that maybe we're helping people with a little more investment literacy. And now we're going to dip our toes into the area that uh, right now, Ron, is such a hot potato. You, you cannot open up a social media feed. You can't turn on the television to watch news where there isn't something going on about climate change and the evils of the fossil fuel industry and all of those other things. And, and for some people, it gets a little tiring, but you have to focus on the case that we, we know we have to make changes. But as an investor, this is such a big sector. It's such a big part of so many people's portfolios. You know, it's estimated that the world spends $6 trillion a year purchasing various forms of energy, like oil, gas, coal, electricity, and that represents about 7% of the world's annual expenditures for everything. And so because you have this huge tug-of-war, as you say, going on, especially there's, there's so many scare tactics that are being used to, uh, with all kinds of predictions, the world's going to end in 10 or 12 years and polar ice caps are going to have been, you know, have been, they've said that they've going, they're going to melt every year since about 2013. And so we're going to try and cut through the confusion because if you are going to invest in energy, which is 7% of the world's annual expenditures, you want to have some exposure there. We're going to try and cut through the fog and just from an investment point of view, realistically look at where the energy sector is going. And, you know, if you're like most of us, you're unclear about what the future holds. And over the next few weeks, we'll be sharing some ideas of how that future could unfold and the investment implications that will result. Okay, we want to start. And and as you say, we're liable to get you know, there's going to be some naysayers with what we're talking about here because this is research-based. You did a lot of work on preparing this show. So we want to talk about the new energy economy entering fantasy land. Renewable energy, and before you send me a nasty email, renewable energy isn't a passing fad. Over time, we're going to transform from a carbon-based economy to a renewable one. The problem is that it's going to take longer than most environmental activists seem to realize. And the best research that I've seen on this is described in a piece called The New Energy Economy, An Exercise in Magical Thinking by Mark Mills, and it was published in March 2019. And he's got arguments highlighting the need for more realistic thinking about the topic. Here again, this is not a guy that thinks that renewable energy is uh, is a passing fad because it isn't. We are in. We are starting the transition. But for people that think that it is going to happen immediately, well, I think that they are sorely mistaken. And we've got 15 reasons we're going to talk about of why it just can't happen. It's physically impossible to happen as fast as people think that no. or expect that it will happen. I just want to say to our listeners, too, some of these statistics you're going to hear in the next few minutes, you're probably going to have to rewind and listen to them again because they are startling. And let's start with that first one. In spite of tremendous growth, renewables are still a very small slice of the energy pie. I mean, the reality is that oil, natural gas, and coal 
supply 84% of the global energy signature. And this has decreased only by 3% over the last 20 years. And over these last two decades, total world energy use has risen by 50%. And this amounts to adding two entire U.S. or United States' worth of demand. And so this small percentage decline in hydrocarbon share in the world energy uh, portfolio, in other words, the amount of energy that comes from hydrocarbons has declined by 3% in 20 years. But to get us that 3%, they've had to spend $2 trillion in cumulative global uh, capital being put into these alternatives over that period just to move the needle 3%. So we are only looking at 2% of the global energy supply coming from renewables, 3% in the U.S., and that's cost a couple of trillion so far. So to move the needle over a short period of time, number one, it hasn't happened. And number two, you start looking at the dollars, and it's stunning. And so this timelines and, and the rate of transfer transformation, it's just not realistic, it would seem. Yeah, to completely replace hydrocarbons over the next 20 years, global renewable energy production would have to increase at 90-fold. In other words, it'd have to go up 90 times. By contest text, it took a half century for global oil and gas production to expand by 10 times. So how are you going to ramp things up uh, literally nine times faster than you've done in the past, especially when the unfolding of oil and gas was a very, very quick push into the global economy. So, so costs aside, years, right? That. Costs aside, this is, I mean, just the, the scope of this is mind-boggling. The numbers are, are, the numbers are huge. And so people just have to get used to the fact that things can't happen quite as fast as you think they will. And this is going to have enormous investment implications, which we're going to get in in the future. But we've got 15 reasons to get through. We're only going to cover half of them today. Why this just can't happen as fast as a lot of people think they can. So, okay, let's take a look at another one. The energy produced for the capital expended is much lower for renewables than for hydrocarbons. And according to Mark Mills, with today's technology, $1 million spent on utility-scale solar panels will produce about 40 million kilowatts over a 30-year operating period. If you spend a million dollars on a wind turbine, it'll do a little better. It'll produce 55 million kilowatts over the, last, the next 30 years. Meanwhile, if you spend a million on hardware for a shale rig, it'll produce enough natural gas over 30 years to generate 300 million kilowatts. That's a 600% uh, increase over the uh, use of electricity uh, produced by either solar or wind. So, uh, For the same capital spent, for the yeah. same money spent, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's just mind-boggling. So now solar and wind, we talk a lot about those. They're the two that, that seem to be front and center. What What's the take there? Well, solar and wind only generate uh, a small part of the uh, electricity during the day. Wind and solar energized machines produce energy on average over a year. So we're not looking over a couple of days where you get a couple of really windy days. But if you take the average over a year, there are 
they, they literally are operating about 25 to 30 percent of the time or less, whereas conventional power plants have high availability, and usually they're capable of going in 80 to a 95 percent range or higher. And even when there's periods where they're down, they have backups that they can use. So, you know, we've got a long way to go before solar and wind can generate the kind of power that can run things all day long, and the problem is storage. And we're going to get into that here in the, in the next few points. But storage is really one of the big Achilles heels as to this whole energy matrix that they're looking at developing. And for our listeners who uh, reside in Alberta, and we just went through a pretty brutal cold snap uh, in the month of January, where I think the the electric utilities were reporting we might have set a record for electricity consumption during that period because the whole province was in the deep freeze. If we if we were relying on solar and wind, a lot of us would have been sitting in the dark. <laughs> and, and frozen to death. Yeah, exactly. All right, well, let's talk about this cost of storing hydrocarbons as opposed to renewables. Yeah, okay, so if you're going to store hydrocarbons, frankly, you can... Uh, you put it in a barrel. Store it. Yeah, you can put it in a barrel. And so it costs less than a dollar a barrel to store oil or natural gas in energy equivalent terms for a couple of months. Coal is even cheaper. You can take a dump truck and put it in your backyard if you wanted. You don't even have to put a tarp over it. And thus, the U.S. on average has about two months' worth of national demand and storage for each kind of hydrocarbon at any given time. Two months. So if things go wrong, if we have international problems, if there's strike or there's transportation problems, there's enough energy to keep keep us going for quite a while. Meanwhile, with batteries, it costs roughly $200 to store the energy equivalent to one barrel of oil, $200. Thus, instead of months, barely two hours of national electricity demand can be stored in the combined total of all utility-scale batteries. And to be generous, if you put all the batteries that are in the one million electric cars that exist on the road in America today, you include them in that total, uh, it still is barely two hours of national electricity demand. The numbers are the numbers are just incredible. <laughs> so, what about size of storage capacity? I mean, we hear about Tesla's big battery, right, uh, down in the Nevada desert, I think. Yeah, but Tesla, which is the world's best known battery maker, uh, and according to Mark Mills, and I'm I'm just taking uh, things that he said and just quoting them directly because he's done such an amazing work. So, Tesla, the world's best known battery maker, if you take a look at that, they the, the math is that $200,000 worth of Tesla batteries, which weigh 20,000 pounds, are needed to store the energy equivalent of one barrel of oil. So $200,000 worth of batteries weighing 20,000 pounds are needed to store the energy equivalent to one barrel of oil. Now, you can use the battery and recharge it over and over again, but that's not the point we're trying to make here. A barrel of oil, meanwhile, weighs 300 pounds. It could be stored in a $20 tank. Uh, so these are the realities of today's lithium batteries, and they're going to have to approve a lot, and not only size, but storage capacity, before they come even close to matching what you can get with a $20 uh, steel tank. Okay, so now let's let's look a little more closely at those numbers for battery storage before we wrap up this first episode. Because as we say, there's so many points to cover here. We're going to do this over several episodes. So the time needed to build out 
enough battery storage capacity to run a nation's grid. I can't even begin to think of the scope of that. Well, here again, let's take a look at uh, a basic question. How many batteries would be needed to store, say, not two months, but two days' worth of the nation's electricity? Well, if you take a look at the $5 billion Tesla Gigafactory in Nevada, uh, it is currently the world's biggest manufacturing facility. Its total annual production uh, could store three minutes' worth of annual U.S. electricity demand. In other words... <laughs> All the batteries it produces in one year could store three minutes worth of annual electricity demand. So that in order to make enough batteries to store two days worth of electricity would require a thousand years at Tesla's Gigafactory. A thousand years. Good Lord. I, I, you know, it's, it's easy to sit back and, and to think that you want to make the change. And as you say, we are, this is not a passing fad. Renewable energy is the thing, is the wave of the future. And there's lots of things to look at. The wind, the solar, and you know, a lot of people are talking about nuclear. But good old fossil fuels get the job done better than anything right now. And that's not an argument, is it? No, it's not an argument. I mean, it, it's a reality. And so we are going to make huge changes in our energy infrastructure or energy matrix over the next 20 or 30 years. But to think that in 20 years or 30 years, uh, we're going to be all running around in electrical vehicles that are produced, that we have some kind of massive battery technology and things are produced by solar and wind and other sources that we invent. Physically, those things are all happening, but they're just the they're just compressed into such a short time frame. And if you're investing with enormous profits in mind because you think that that time frame is compressed and these uh, companies are going to be uh, making an enormous amount of money in a very short period of time, I think you really need to rethink your strategy because this could take a lot longer than you think. And when profits are extended over a longer period of time, the price drops. And that is the issue that we really want to focus on is to get you to understand that these are great technologies, they're going to change the world, but they're just not going to do so as quickly as you think. Okay, so we'll come back with another installment here, and we want to break this down into a few episodes because it's such a big topic. It's so thick, it's dense. The numbers, as we say, I, I you know, when I first saw these numbers, I was absolutely astonished. I was reading them three and four times to make sure I was digesting them correctly. We'll be back next week to go to part two of our discussion about energy. And again, if you have a question or if you have a nasty email you want to send us, you can reach us through the CFCW website. The show's called Making Money or visit our website, letsmakemoney.ca. Ron, we'll talk again next week. Ron Hebert is the financial coach, retired portfolio manager. I'm Gord Whitehead. We'll talk to you shortly. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.